Lacrosse All-Stars presents In Your Face LaxCast. Unfiltered opinions on the most controversial topics in the game of lacrosse. I'm Ryan Danahy, former Division I college and pro player and Division I college coach, currently living and coaching in the city of Philadelphia. I'm joined with my co-host, Andy Towers, the legend, former Division I college head coach, MLL All-Star, three-time All-American, and arguably the best to ever play the midfield position. Each show, we dive into the world of lacrosse from high school, college, to pro, as well as bring on special guests. You can subscribe to us via iTunes and check us out on Twitter at InYourFaceLax for more information. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. As we stated on Wednesday, In Your Face is going all in on the Yale Brown tilt this weekend. And it wouldn't be right to have Andy Shea from Yale University on without having Lars Tiffany follow up from Brown State University. Since the former two-time captain of the Bears across team has taken over his alma mater in 2006, he has won three Ivy League titles and has two national tournament bursts in 2009 and 2015. He's been named New England Coach of the Year three times and was most recently named Ivy League Coach of the Year in 2015. Brown has put themselves on the map over the last few years as one of the most dynamic teams to watch in Division I lacrosse. And so with that, we couldn't be happier to have Lars Tiffany join our show today. Thanks so much, Lars. Really appreciate it. You, you don't understand. This is a treat to be a part of uh, the duo that is Ryan Dennehy and Andrew Towers. Um, again, I just hope I get a couple words in because pe- really people just want to listen to you two. <laughs> that's well, not totally fair, but we appreciate your enthusiasm, LT, that's for sure. So before we get into any of the questions, we need to confirm a rumor, Lars, that's been circulating around the cross world. And while no pictures can confirm it, whether you're going to lie to us right now or not, did you or did you not eat a cheesesteak after the Penn game last weekend? <laughs> I... I knew you were going to go there. I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> uh, did, you get caught? did you get caught red-handed? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I just faked it. I just acted like, you know, a big win over Penn. Here, let's do this. No way. No way. I'm in. I'm in the club. I knew it. You're still in it. You're still, you still got your uh, vegetable monthly uh, subscription still coming in. <laughs> <Apple. laughs> exactly. exactly. I still, I'm still part of the garden club. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so Lars, huge game this weekend. Over the last nine days, you've seen your team lose its first game on a Tuesday night against in-state rivals Bryant, albeit without your starting face-off guy, Will Garrell. But you bounced back in huge fashion against Ivy opponent Penn in Philadelphia. As a coach, you've got to feel pretty good about your team's confidence going into the biggest league game of the year, correct? The emotional strength that this team demonstrated after a, uh, after a tough loss. I mean, losing sucks. We all know that. But losing in overtime is the worst. And, um, you know, and for us to bounce back emotionally uh, is a real testament to what I was looking at for. And it, it all starts with Jack Kelly. You know, there's a reason he's a two-time captain. He is the strongest uh, emotional lacrosse player in the country and, and, and I don't know a lot of lacrosse players outside of Jack but I've been coaching for over 20 years and there, there's nobody like him and so he led this team um, more with his voice and his energy but then also with his play with those 15 saves um, against Mike Murphy's Quakers. You know coming into the game Yale has been known for its defense uh, and its defensive oriented club 
Uh, but at the same time, their offense has been very explosive over the last year, averaging 13 goals per game. What's the biggest challenge you'll face this weekend versus an undefeated Yale Bull- Bulldog program? The biggest thing that Brown has to overcome on Saturday when we play the number one team in the country is the half-field setting. Uh, Yale can, has continued to prove over the years that they are one of the best teams in the 66 setting. Certainly, their defense is one of the top in the nation, and their offense, as you're pointing out, they can score goals in the 66 setting. You know, certainly it, it makes sense when they're practicing against each other and getting those reps. Um, that it's tough to score on the offense, and vice versa. Their offense gets better because of that. Their offense gets better because they're going against their defense every day in practice. So that is the key for us. It's something we analyzed last year. Last year we opened up the doors of the barn and let the animals loose, and it was just running gun in the sun. Um, Yet near the end of the year, Yale and Denver exposed our lack of discipline in the half field and our lack of efficiency by making us play 66 the entire game and just conceding the ride or conceding some middle-of-the-field ground balls even. And so in the offseason, that was a big focus for Brown lacrosse was, okay, we have to spend more time in a 6v6. Uh, now, we balance that because we still need to sharpen our sword with this transition game, and that's, that's certainly going to be our, our calling card. But that we're gonna find, we've gotten better there. We're not as good as Yale there yet, but we've gotten better in the 6v6. We're going to find out how much better we've gotten in the offense and defense 6v6 on Saturday. You know, Brown, as you kind of already alluded to, Brown has been significantly different in the past two years than it's been for the first nine years you've been head coach. It takes a lot of guts to make major changes to a team so quickly. What's convinced you to take a leap of faith in changing up your style of play so drastically? And have you at any time, especially being a defensive-oriented coach yourself, been close to reverting back to the old ways, being like, oh, my God, what, what have I done? What's convinced you to take that leap of faith, Coach? The, the biggest one was the addition of Sean Kerwin to the coaching staff. Having Sean having played and coached within the tough system to bring that experience to us, we didn't have to go through the growing pains as long because he'd been a part of it for six years. So he anticipated some of the hurdles and challenges that we would face. Um, so really give credit to Sean. And then he implemented the certain things we do in our fast breaks and in our, in our, we would call them slow breaks or our transitions that are not a pure four on three. Um, there's certain things that are really effective that he implemented. Um, he gets a ton of credit for this. Now, certainly Kip Turner had been actually pushing this. I just wasn't ready to do it. And maybe because of those defensive uh, principles that I have and, and that, and the history of it and trying to keep the score down. But, um, it really was a convergence of two of two things when you look at Sean Kerwin's addition to the staff, and then just who we had. You know, it's uh, the right. ebbs and flows of recruiting. Sometimes you've got the guys, and sometimes you, you're not as strong. You use a few more smoke and mirrors. Man, right now we're, we've got howitzers and machine guns. We don't have freaking smoke and mirrors. <laughs> we got guys who can fill it up, who fire it, and so we're really fortunate to uh, to have the talent we have. And so it just came. It was a perfect time for Sean to show up. So, LT, right along that line, this team, you know, obviously is the most dynamic, I think, from the offensive end in the country in the style that they play, which you just referenced. And obviously, you know, the addition of Coach Kerwin has, you know, been a, been a big reason for that. Uh, but, but I think one of the signatures of a Lars Tiffany program is that you have been always able to get your team to figure out exactly who they are. 
And I know from coaching that that is perhaps the greatest challenge from year to year, knowing that each team has different amounts of talent, different dynamics that come into play, yet you're able to manage those things and still get your team to sort of figure out who they are. And this year, I think you've done the best job of, of all in that this team knows exactly who they are and is, I think, the most complete team in the country when you take into consideration the strength of your face-off group at the midline, your goaltender, who many believe, and I certainly am in this camp, that he's the best goaltender in the country, first-team All-American. And then you've got, your obviously, your offense and then the style of defense that you play. Those mesh really, really well together. How do you go about the task of helping your team realize who they are year to year? Andrew, those are some really wonderful words you just said, and, and I appreciate um, I all those compliments. I think it's accurate. I think it's a, it's a function of trying to understand who we are um, each year. So that may, what you may see from a Brown team is we may not get off to the greatest start because it's not like we have an, a defined system every year that you have to fit the pieces into my puzzle. So because we adapt based on our personnel and, and what we've got, sometimes it takes us a little longer to figure it out. But you know, fortunately, we always played uh, Dartmouth a little bit later in the year, and so by the, by that time, you know, we've gotten a better feel. Not, not fortunate for Dartmouth. <laughs> <laughs> and and yet you say that, and we still had multiple overtime goals, and they were always battles, Andrews, because you you had your team and your men believing, you know, uh, and that's what I always loved about c- competing with you is the positivity, you know, despite. You know, despite previous games or some losses, you guys entered the game arena ready to play, believing in you and the game plan. And uh, and so, for us, it was. I just always tried to see who we have, and uh, and not try to be so rigid with my systems, and uh, and find out what's best for them. So yeah, so sometimes it takes a little longer to uh, to really feel cohesive and doing everything on the same page. Well, I gotta uh, I gotta I gotta commend that angle and approach because you know most. Coaches, I believe, have a my way or the highway type mentality and for you to mold your approach to the talent that you have. You know, obviously, everybody's going to recruit, you know, certain sets of strengths and weaknesses, you know, as it relates to the prospects that they're going to bring to the program each year. But we all know it's an imperfect science, and there are guys that you think are going to come in and be four-year starters, and you're guys that you think that are going to come in and, and, and may you know, take them a little more time to hit the field on game day. And, you know, it, 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 every year never ceased to amaze me where I was dead wrong on some kids in that they weren't as good as I thought and dead wrong on other kids that they were better than I thought. Can you speak a little bit about your recruiting philosophy? You know, what are, what are sort of the, the mandatory items on a attribute checklist for kids that you're bringing in each year? You know, what are the non-negotiable that you must have? Great question. The, the, the first, what it really starts off with is, um, you know, the eye test. And I got to see that you do things fast. And I'm not just talking about footwork, that your hands, your quick hands, your decision-making is quick. You know, it's like when you play the, the video games and you've got it on the, 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 the extreme computer level. And that whole thing is Gadgets that's and level five. And, that's fast. level five in Golden Key 2016, Lars. <laughs> that's level five. I've had that up at level five, so I know what you're talking about. <laughs> they need a level six for you. You have too many reps. You have too much experience. <laughs> you, need to, you need to raise the bar here. 
can't be somebody I'm not. Is there, is there a national tournament you can be involved with with that? Jeez, you know what? I tried to make the Vegas tournament. I just missed this year. I finished uh, 234, and they only took 32. So I still got uh, some some work to do. The good news is the good news is is that now that I'm no longer coaching Division I lacrosse, I've got plenty of time to hone my track ball skills. Hopefully they will be. But sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, LT. No, I, I'm just I'm, I'm envisioning these top 32 people and what their lives are like. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> good, good luck to you, Dandrew. Um, yeah, and so I want to see you do things fast, quick, decision making, your hands, your, your how you get rid of the ball to your stick, and uh, certainly your raw speed too. And then, um, and then from there, it's it's going to be toughness. You know, I want I want to hear that coach say, "Oh, he's tough." You know, in a tough situation, yep. you know, down a couple goals late in the game, or in a tough practice when it's mud or pouring rain. You know, this guy loves it. He he wants to be out there with his teammates. I've, you know, we have the mantra Brown State. Ryan started the show using it. I have learned in my 10 years, I can't make somebody Brown State. You know, if if they come in soft, you know, uh, they're, we might we might raise it from a volume two to a three, but we're not going to get them from two to a nine in terms of toughness. Right. It's just it's inherent. So that's an early variable that we try to measure. Difficult to measure with ninth graders. A lot easier yep. to measure it with 11th graders. Um, yeah. So that's why we've been sort of hesitant to jump on the early recruiting bandwagon as much as uh, a lot of other Division One programs. Well, it's it's commendable for uh, you know a few different reasons, and that certainly you know is not lost on the high school coaches or the parents. And I think that you know uh, you've separated yourself from a lot of the other coaches with that perspective. I uh, you know I love the idea that you know toughness is something that you've got to sort of check that box. You know, not surprisingly, Andy Shea had said the same thing during his podcast this week, um, you know, and, and just being able to count on your players to be disciplined all over the field certainly comes back to that toughness. I would look at toughness and coachability and being a good teammate as an example of, you know, the intangibles as a player. As you know, the game is spread like wildfire, you know, across the country, and there's a ton of really good athletes who can catch and, and shoot and defend and, and that sort of stuff. How does your staff evaluate intangibles when you're comparing a prospect who you're very interested in in Long Island versus the same type of player in California versus the same type of player in Texas? You know, How do you evaluate intangibles so that you feel you actually are bringing in the very best fit for Brown State? Yeah, no, and it's gotten tougher and tougher with the earlier and earlier recruiting, so this is a great question. You can see some of it, you know, at these camp games and um, the tournaments, you know, the the, the willingness to go in for a tough ground ball. You know, are we just going to be a bunch of rakers, or are we going to run through it and pick it up? Um, Late in the games when it's going, you know, it's a tight game, where are they? But I have to admit, this is where the, the relationships we build with club coaches and high school coaches is becomes critical because uh, I got to hear their voice because they're they're spending a lot more time with them, and uh, and certainly got to be able to trust the coach too. You know, some coaches oversell uh, and they push every recruit on me, but it's um, build the relationships with the right club coaches and high school coaches, and then hear those words. And maybe sometimes they don't they don't want to undercut a kid, but you can hear that they're not saying the things that you're you're hoping that you would hear. So. Um, and then you get really got to look at yourself, like, geez, I really wanted this guy, but I'm I'm not hearing exactly what you know we need here. Right. Because, you know, college across, it's a grind. You know, 
know, except for like the Dylan Malloys and Larkin Kemp's, most of the guys don't play as a freshman. Most of the guys have to grind it out for a year or two before they get right. on the field and get real playing time and significant playing time. And so it's a grind getting beat on and getting slashed and, you know, in the weight room. So that, that, that mental aspect is, is so critical. The other part that we look for is humility, you know, uh, I don't, I don't need you to tell me how great you are. You know, uh, I, I'll tell you how good we think you are, and uh, and and we'll we'll, we'll certainly uh, pat you on the back and we'll say nice things to your mother and your father. Um, but I don't need you telling me, you know, how great you were. You know. <laughs> I, well, clearly you guys have done a uh, a fantastic job of assembling some of the best talent that most importantly plays great together. They all seem to complement each other. And that's a credit to you and your staff and the job that you guys are doing in that area. Uh, my last question, then I'll turn it back to RD, is, um, you know, contrast the style of play and the team dynamics from the team that you captained as a senior or as a senior in 1990, which was, you know, a very, very high scoring team. I think I think we were actually the second highest scoring team in the country behind Cuse that year. That might not be true, but pretty close to this year's team, you know, they're putting up the same type of numbers, you know, and, and they're actually kind of similar groups in that, you know, each team had, you know, their strength at the midline in the goal, you know, on the offensive end, but can you contrast the, the, the differences in the style of play and team dynamics, even though they were similar teams in terms of, you know, points that they put up and the success that they had on game day. Right. Well, we got a lot less body hair these days, that's for sure, than we did in the 90s, early 90s. And that's for sure. Um, a lot less body? A lot less body, body hair. hair. This is just, but that's that's a whole social trend we can talk about oh, in another yeah. podcast. But, <laughs> that's that's um, life, a lifestyle. A lifestyle yeah, some lifestyle decisions there. Um, yeah. Well, first of all, we don't, we don't have Laura Siffy running around, so we're definitely more athletic than we used to be. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, I think. Did you have his high know, shorts? Do you have his high shorts running around? No one wore their shorts higher than like 50. You know, I thought it was David Hasselhoff. A couple of times I thought David Hasselhoff was throwing me a pass on the break, and I looked up, and it was just you out there. I'm like, oh, never mind. Yeah, speaking of that, you know, some of the most humbling times where you, you, you probably don't remember, but I remember you picking up a pole. We're practicing on the roof. You know, and it took about 25 seconds for me to realize, wow. He's a better defenseman, and he's had to pull in his hand for 25 seconds. You know, and, uh, <laughs> you're just a that type of player. And um, oh god. But anyway, we, I, you know, you, there are some, there are some real similarities when you think about the '90 and '91 teams that could get up and down the field and score a ton of goals and win faceoffs. And um, we might be a little better in the goal now than then, although we were solid, yep. obviously, with Pat Flynn, Flounder, and yep. uh, Steve the Snake Ayers. But yep. um, you know, I, I think one of the biggest differences is the team defense right now. That while we weren't a great team defense uh, a couple of years ago, we've we've um, we've become more athletic on the team defensive end, and we have um, we've really stepped up our game uh, in the '66 and in our transition defense this year. Now, granted, Jack Kelly's bailing us out when we're getting up some great looks, but our goals allowed has been reduced. Whereas I. When I was playing for Dom, we loved Dom, and I love playing for Dom because you were free to do just about whatever you wanted to. Uh, yep. And um, and but sometimes on the defensive end, um, you know, we we didn't spend enough time sort of, you know, being as uh, as cohesive um, in terms of okay, well, what if this guy does get beat? Who is it, who is the the first slide, second slide? Right. Um, so that might be the the biggest difference, you know, where 
um, you know, the, the goal for this year's team is certainly to outscore people with big numbers, but on those days, which could be Saturday because of how tough Yale's defense is, is can we win a lower scoring game? And uh, right. we were able to do that against Harvard. You know, we only got to 11, but that was enough. We were able to hold them to eight, you know, and so that might be uh, the part of the difference. And again, it's, it's the people, you know, JJ and Cyclio is a name that nobody's really talking about. And he's a phenomenal uh, defenseman for us who uh, plays at the close end and, and, and gets all the toughest matchups. Um, and to go along with, the guys who are getting all the hype, uh, Larkin Kemp, Alec Tullett, Jake Miller, who uh, not only play sound fundamental defense, but certainly get the uh, they stir the drink. They, they get this engine st- kick-started with our transition game. We want to know, are you in favor of a shot clock or not in favor of a shot clock? And if you are in favor of a shot clock, what do you think that time frame should be? Um, well, first, I think the rules committee actually did a great job. What we currently have, the threat of a shot clock, the threat of the 30-second timer on has been more effective than I would have guessed when it first came out. That um, So I think that part's been great. Now, obviously, we're all finding ways to get around it, and it's frustrating when you're watching a, a game in the fourth quarter, and you know the team with the ball is missing the cage on purpose. And right. I mean, I think we watched – I watched in, uh, a game Sunday – and I'm not going to call the team out, but they were doing this in the third quarter. They had a nice lead, and yep. it was obvious to me. In the third quarter, they were missing the cage on purpose and just trying right. to kill the clock and kill clock, and that's really frustrating. So I'm uh, I'm really happy with the big step that we've taken. Now, I do hope the next step is a shot clock. And uh, for me, I like the idea of uh, you know 20 seconds to clear the ball. The referees already have a 20-second beeper on their hip. So uh, they don't have to count, so we don't have the human error there. And uh, and then 60 seconds uh, once you get the ball over the midline. I like that dichotomy of it, even though it would be a little confusing for the non-traditional fan, because what about the reset? What about when, you know, Brown does take a shot, goalie makes a save, Brown gets a rebound? I don't want that to be a new 90. That, that almost is like supporting stalling. Um, so right. at least at 60, it's not so bad. LT, do you think that, uh, you know, the, all of the other coaches or most of the other coaches also are in favor of a shot clock. I know uh, Coach Shea was as well, but do you feel like the rest of, you know, the coaches that you speak to on a regular basis all sort of feel like let's let's get this, you know, human subjectivity out of it and, and let's sort of put it, you know, where it's non-negotiable, like you said, you know, if the referees have a 20-minute deeper on their waist, they can't screw that up. And I think, you know, all of the coaches just want consistency. Do you feel like everybody's in favor of a shot clock? Uh, we have a, I bet we have a simple majority. I bet we're over 50%. I'm not sure we have a two-thirds majority yet. Uh, it was came up in conversation in the convention this past December. And, um, and then all of a sudden, it didn't come to the next day's uh, round of topics, and uh, for one reason or another, we didn't talk about it more. I, I wish we had, but um, I, I but I felt the first time we talked about it, I think that there is a, there's a lot of voices saying let's do this, and part of the reason I'm in for it because I, I I just want to keep making the referees, the officials' jobs easier. You know, we ask a lot of them, and right, and, and can we what can we take off their plate and to to make this easier? So I think um, I think there's a lot of people pushing for it, see it coming in the future. And I think a lot of us also are admitting, you know, just 
you know, I'm a little slow to change. Just give me some time here. You know, and there's a nice transition with this hybrid threat of a shot clock. But I, I think I think we're going to get there. I, I really do. Um, it just makes sense if you step away from your own personal program and your own personal agenda, which, again, we're paid to do that, right? I, I'm paid to think about how can I – whatever I can do to help Brown Lacrosse win games. So Absolutely. Can we step away from that temporarily and say, all right, what's best for the game? And there's no question in moving forward uh, with marketing our sport – and trying to grab more TV time, we need to be fast, you know, and uh, we need to we need to have a, a game that's entertaining to the lacrosse fan and the uh, new lacrosse fan. I, I agree. So, do you just to to go back just a little bit for the voices in the room that weren't on board with a shot clock? Were those coaches at programs that you would say are sort of has less programs? You know, I would I would be the first one to one shot clock if I had, you know, a deep roster full of thoroughbreds and I wanted, you know, a, a, a game filled with more possessions per team. I would be a little bit more hesitant if I was coaching, you know, a team that didn't have, you know, competitive depth, knowing that, you know, a game with fewer possessions would probably enhance the chance of us winning on game day versus playing a team, you know, that's deeper than us and giving them more possessions. Do you think that, that that's a fair representation of the voices in that room that weren't on board with a shot clock? I do. I do. Now, and, of course, that may not be the justification that they are making when uh, uh, during the discussion. They'll try to find other reasons. Uh, sure. Maybe, hey, you know, it's ugly when in the pro game – you see them, you know, you see the offense rolling the ball in the corner and three guys sprinting out and three defensive personnel sprinting in, you know, and so um, they, they may come up with some other reasons for it. But I, I think in, you know, at the heart of this, that's what it's all about. Um, and hey, I've been, I've been there before. I mean, Christ, when we played, when we played you guys up at Dartmouth in 2007, my first year at Brown, um, yep. you know, we were lucky to get that game in overtime. You know, Jordan Burke, you know, uh, he was, he was insane. He was insane. He made 19 saves. And, uh, right. you know, and you guys had four saves at, at the end of regulation and then made a couple, of, <laughs> right. made a couple right. of big saves in, in, in overtime to, uh, uh, to, to get the W against us. But it's just, you know, that was a time where you guys had that phenomenal attack unit and you had some real good depth. Um, and we were just getting going at Brown. So I, I, yeah. I understand the, uh, we're all, we all got to be competitive. And as I said earlier, you know, I'm paid to be the strongest proponent of what helps Brown lacrosse win. But I think we got to step back and see what's what's big, what's best for the sport. And um, and so I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful we get this shot clock in. So the last uh, last rules question is the dive. Are you in favor of maybe bringing back the dive into our game as well? Yeah, I would like to. I, I think it'd be great. It's no matter what we come up with, it, that part's going to be hard for the officials. We can't take that off. No matter what the rule is. You know, if it's, you can't dive or you can dive, there's always going to be the the judgment that's really tough of was he pushed in, the defender's hands was on the guy's back, did he propel himself, uh, was he in the crease first, did he land in the crease first before the ball went I mean, it's always going to be there. It's, no matter what we come up with, there's going to be something tough to judge for the referees. But I don't see a lot of injuries happening in a pro game, you know, and uh, having Kip Turner right. on our staff and talking to him, he, he doesn't feel that threatened. Um, when he was playing in the MLL, uh, I, I, I think it's exciting, you know, having just coached against Penn and seeing Doug Knight on the sidelines for the Quakers and getting to talk to him for a little <laughs> bit. Man, just, just, 
just spending some time with him and just in my own head reliving the memories and the video in my own head of watching him just do acrobatic and crazy fun stuff. Uh, I, I think that's a part of the game we got to bring back. I remember going to practice at the Cannons, and it was Michael Watson on one side and Dougie Knight on the other side. It was like, you know, Batman and Robin. Every play was like Batman and Robin <laughs> flying across the goal. And, uh, you know, it's just it's so much fun to watch. And uh, I hope they bring it back, but we'll see. Last question, Lars. Uh, Memorial Day weekend. Are you hung up? Are you a traditionalist? Are you hung up on still keeping semifinals and national championship on the same weekend? Or do you think we grow from this and build it into something to push the season off that weekend uh, so we can get maybe a separate time? Because let's face it, you know, and, and we all know the semifinals are probably the most beautiful lacrosse that's played in our game. Uh, but certainly the national championships a little choppy. Uh, what are your thoughts on Memorial Day weekend? I would, I would, I, I think it's time to move away. Memorial Day weekend was the uh, linchpin for us for so many years. It was, uh, it was a must. And then all of a sudden, television coverage became great. And all of a sudden, yep. your ten-year-old has a game or has a tournament, you know, every weekend for the next eight weekends. So now all of a sudden you're thinking, huh. I can take Memorial Day weekend off and watch these things on TV because I'm going to be driving up and down 95 every weekend in June and July. And so I think those two factors have attributed to uh, the downturn. So I, what I would like to do is uh, let's make our championships a special weekend uh, a couple weeks later in June. It also feeds in the fact I'm a New England coach, and I would like us to start the season later, start games March 1, Let's get out of February lacrosse. Uh, it wasn't awful this year, but the last two years, the winters were just, just – it was just abysmal to try to be playing lacrosse in February and, and playing real games and nobody in the stands. Plus, we're competing with basketball. Let's get as far away from college basketball as possible. You know, they, they, that's, that, they, they've got all the attention, and college hockey has some attention um, in February and March. So we've got to have some, uh, you know, some crossover there. But let's reduce that if, if possible, and let's let's compete with baseball. You know, we, we, we're a lot more attractive. Hell yeah, uh, Lars! Hell yeah! So let's go head to head with women's softball. Yeah, <laughs> I, I listen. I I agree with you, and I know uh, a lot of people that are fans of the sport do as well. Uh, well, listen, man, I uh, I can't overstate how pumped many of us are to return to Providence this weekend to watch you and. Brown play against Andy Shea in Yale. You know, I told him when we signed off on, on Wednesday night that, or Tuesday night, whatever it was, that I hope that Yale brings their best game on Saturday. And I'm confident that he will have them ready to go and ready to play. And I know that you will have Brown ready to go and ready to play. And it, we're just looking forward to it. It's going to be a war, obviously. You know, I want Brown to win, but I, I want Brown to win when Yale's playing its best and Brown's playing its best because I really believe that you two teams have a chance to win the whole thing. So I think that this this game this weekend is going to be uh, a high point of the season for all of us. So we're looking forward to it. Wish you a ton of luck. Well, thank you. Thank you, you so uh, much, Lawrence. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Ryan. In Your Face Laxcast is produced by Lacrosse All-Stars. Check us out on Twitter at In Your Face Lax. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and check us out on SoundCloud as well. Tune in in the future for future podcasts featuring guests, controversial topics, 
And of course, hashtag AskTowers. Thank you for the listen.